Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Today we are recapping the last two basketball games that we had um, against uh, Wofford, and of course before that we had the game against Stanford. Um, two roller coaster of games that, to be honest, <laughs> I'm not really sure that I like seeing those types of games continuously. So, um, but we have Steve Fetch joining us as usual. To, to do our basketball recap. So I will not waste any more time. I'll get you right on over to that interview. And I'm joined now once again by Steve Fetch, uh, basketball editor over at Rock Chalk Talk. Fetch, how are you doing tonight? Hey, good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. So um, we actually missed, I was planning on doing another episode um, after the the uh, Marquette and Tennessee game so we could preview the Stanford and Wofford games. That didn't end up happening. And, and to be honest, I don't think it really mattered because anything we probably would have said in those games or for those games would have been completely wrong. So instead, let's 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 just go ahead and take a look at the games themselves. The first impression I want from you, though, is what do you think is the single biggest storyline to come out of either of those two games? Boy, that's a good question. Um, well, I think I guess it it would have to be the Yudoka Azubuki injury uh, that he suffered on Tuesday, and and kind of how that impacts them going forward. Um, you know, how long he's going to be out, whether they can handle him being out. I mean, all, all that stuff, I think, is probably the, the number one story at this point. Yeah, I'm going to take a tweak on that. I think actually the biggest story is what they did after he went out. You know, they only got four minutes, and, and I realize it was against Wofford, who is, you know, ranked 84th in Ken Palm as of right now. They are ranked higher than Stanford, though. Um, so it was against a slightly better opponent than Saturday. But what we saw is just exactly how deep this team is. The fact that, you know, Azubuke goes out with an injury after only playing four minutes. And the Gerald Vick, 
doesn't score a single point the entire night, and yet they still are able to go on a huge 27 nothing run in the second half and just completely blow that game away. Like I, you know, I, I I saw a lot of people talking on Twitter afterwards or just general discussion with people afterwards, and they were talking about you know how, um, you know just just how how deep these guys are that there's always you know a weapon that can step up and and have a big game. But I think what the real takeaway that I get is it doesn't matter which star is having a bad game. There's always going to be someone else that can pick them up. So it doesn't really matter, you know, if, if their top three guys aren't playing very well, you know, they have seven, eight, nine guys that they can get in there and can pick up the slack for them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the, the thing I guess with Azubuki is maybe there's a little bit of, um, obviously Wofford wasn't preparing to play a, a team without Azubuki for 30 minutes or whatever it was. Um, so, you know, we'll have to see how things develop going forward once we well, yeah. get to scout and, and prepare for a Kansas team without them. But totally right that uh, Lodrell Vick was uh, insane in that Stanford game. Um, you know, obviously with the, the big three to, to tie it there and force overtime. And then um, I think he had, uh, I can't remember how many in overtime, I guess, but 27 for the game. So he definitely had a few in overtime and then comes back and, and scores zero points uh, against Wofford and wasn't really doing much on offense. Um, his threes didn't really come within the flow of the offense and, and didn't really seem to be that involved um, on that end of the floor. But yet um, Kansas came out and, and just kind of blew the doors off Wofford. Of course they did it defensively rather than offensively. So, um, you know, maybe there is something to the fact that maybe they do need the Gerald Vic to be, um, hitting from the outside or, or just kind of um, playing well in general to really put up a lot of points on that end of the floor. But it is nice to see that they can still win comfortably, um, getting nothing from him and, and getting nothing from uh, Azubuki as well. Yeah, they. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say they didn't really do anything offensively. I mean, obviously they scored less points than they did in, in the previous game, but a lot of that had to do with overtime. Um, you know, I mean, in order to go on a 27 nothing run, you have to have a decent amount of offense. I think what was most surprising was that the people we expected to have good offensive games didn't really do a lot other than Diedrich Lawson. You know, he, he, he did a really good job, obviously, getting more involved. Um, the one thing that I kind of noticed, um, well, actually, to, to go back, you were, you were talking about Vic. He actually scored 11 straight points in the game at one point, uh, that, that first three or that, that, that three to send them to overtime, and then he scored the first eight points of overtime. Not just like the first eight Kansas points, but the first eight points total in overtime. So he had an 11-0 personal run in the game, which was just absolutely insane. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think what was most surprising to me, it wasn't that Kansas was able to put the offense together so so well against the Wofford in that second half. It was how they were getting it. You know, Grimes broke out of his funk in a really big way. Um, Devon Dotson was absolutely insane. You know, I, I, uh, I was getting on, or I was talking with someone on, I don't remember which sports writer it was on Twitter, um, where he had made a comment about, you know, LeGerald Vick being the, the best player on the team at this point. Um, and, and I, I responded with, well, I think it's Devon Dotson and he, you know, it's basically because he's, he's been the most consistent. You're consistently getting good point guard play out of him. His offense has always kind of been there, but it hasn't been like the star. But when they need him, 
to break out on offense. He showed, especially in the game against Wofford, that he can, you know, he he can lead the break. He can drive into the basket. Um, the one thing I will say about the Azubuke injury, yeah, it gives them a little bit of problems down low in terms of defense, but it really opens up the offense for them. Um, they don't have a couple guys, you know, uh, spying down low all the time. There's not a ton of people in the in the middle to clog up the lane, so you get a lot more people driving. You get a lot more going on. It's really hard when they do have two big guys in both Diedrich Lawson and Azabuke in there. It's just really clogged. They have a hard time getting that that, that pick and roll, um, you know, the quick slashes to the basket. That that stuff kind of disappears because there's always two defenders that are sitting there in the paint. Yeah. Um, I think in the short term, you're right. Um, I do think that they're going to look better on offense and they looked better on offense uh, after he went out. Obviously they only scored. Uh, let's see where is it? About, about 1.05 points per possession uh, against Wofford, which is not very good uh, against Wofford. But after he went out, um, I bet if you, if you took it from that point, it, it looks much better. So in the short term, I think you're right. Um, in the long term, I think though they need to learn how to play with both those guys on the floor because they're both just so talented, and you can. Oh yeah. I don't think anyway. You know, give them each 20 minutes a game or whatever, and, and have them each sitting for half the game just to keep this four out one in look. Um, oh yeah, I don't get me wrong. I'm I'm not saying that they're better off without Asabuke or that he shouldn't be on the floor and they should oh, strict strictly play a four guard lineup, but it will allow them to develop this ability to play better without him. Because previously, in previous games, you know, they looked pretty good on defense when he was in. They never really kind of got that offense going when he got out, for the most part. Like, he, they, they were still effective, but they weren't as effective as they were able to be last night after they were finally able to get it rolling. I think the main issue just has been is they have to play so differently when Asabuki's on the floor and when he's off the floor in terms of how they run their offense – that they never really could get either one going very well besides what Azabuke just does with his raw power inside. And so this extended period of time, while while I think ultimately, yes, they need Azabuke back in order to be as good as they can actually be, this will give them an opportunity to practice those sets in a game atmosphere a lot more, um, to kind of get a good idea so that when Azabuke has to come off the floor, you know, in February and March, they already have some practice working together and getting that, that offense going. They're going to look a lot cleaner, I think, in the future because of this. And, you know, they are deep and they're talented enough that they can they can still win a lot of these games without probably the best player on their team um, out there on the floor. So it, it's, it's, it's a testament to, you know, how many different guys they have that can do so many different things um, that they can practice all of these different looks you know, and then they'll be able to bring it all together at the end of the season, I think. So it's absolutely crazy how just, just how, how deep this team is. So let's, I want to jump back actually to the Stanford game. Um, obviously that game didn't go anywhere near the way that we wanted it to. Um, it was, I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. I was going crazy the entire time with, you know, um, th- there was only a very small stretch where the, the win expectation for Stanford like ever actually swung in their favor. It was only for like the last minute and a half of the game. And then there was a, a quick spike around the 12 minute mark. I believe that's when they were up by like 12 and then Kansas came on a run back. Um, you know, it, it's just, I was, I was obviously kind of surprised with how well Stanford played. 
but it looked like a lot of bad defense on Kansas' part that really sparked Stanford as opposed to Stanford just being a really, really good team. Am I off on that assessment, or or do you think that there's more to it than that? No, I, th- I think you're right. Um, unlike the the Tennessee game where it was, you know, two really good teams going back and forth and, and Kansas, obviously neither team really played great in that game um, either, but, um, you know, Tennessee was obviously a lot better team than, than Stanford. This one was just more um, Kansas just kind of sleepwalking throughout the whole game and kind of, I think, expecting Stanford to go away at the end, which I guess they kind of did uh, in overtime, but um yeah, they did not play well, obviously, and I think that that's um, not the worst thing in the world. You can certainly expect that 18 to 22-year-old whatever kids are going to have days like that. Um, the issue becomes they've you know fallen behind kind of over and over and over again here in these last few games, and they're just kind of relying on the fact that they know that they're really good and really talented to, to break them out of it. And um, So far it's worked, but obviously it's not going to – uh, the whole season. Um, yeah, it's, just, it's just weird. Cause I know we, we, we said that again, Vermont, Louisiana, um, you know, that if, if they do this against Tennessee, they're not going to be able to come back. And of course, then they went ahead and did the exact same thing to Tennessee. You know, they got down, I believe, or Mark Marquette as well. They like, they got down big to Marquette and then able to, and they were able to come storming back. You know, they got down to Tennessee a few times by more than I thought that they were going to be able to come back from. And yet they able to, they were able to come back. This is definitely a, a second half team. Um, that kind of gets calmed down around halftime and, and is able to put on a big push. But um, I mean, are we are we really confident in the like one of these days they're actually going to run up against the team that they're not going to be able to come back on, or is that just kind of I think what we're going to have to do, where people they have to feel each other out for the first half to figure out who's going to have a good game in the second half, and then let that you know turn turn the game over to that person. Well, there there probably is going to be some of that too, where. You're right. It, it seems like one game with Gerald Vick is really cooking, and then the next game it's Diedrich Lawson. And you saw on Tuesday, uh, Quentin Grimes had a really nice game, or, or Devin Dotson kind of takes over. And there might be some some feeling out process um, throughout the course of games. But yeah, obviously you'd like to see them uh, start a little bit faster. And, and who knows, maybe Udo Kazabuki being out might help in that regard a little bit, uh, just because it seems like the, the start of every game has been throwing it to him down low and letting him kind of get involved in the game early and, and feel out the game and stuff. And so without him in there, um, maybe they're going to be going to some plays that maybe will work a little bit better. I mean, I, I like Azubuki a lot, but I don't think that dumping it into him and, and letting him uh, dribble multiple times with his back to the basket is really the best offense to start the game out with. Um, I think he'd probably rather play a little bit more up-tempo and even do that little three-man weave, weave stuff that I've kind of hated over the course of the last few years, but uh, there's no doubt that it kind of gets guys um, going downhill and attacking the basket and stuff. So maybe that stuff will, will help them start out a little bit faster, but um, if not, obviously they're going to run into a team at some point where they, they can't come back and win. Um, you're seeing it happen against teams that aren't very good. Um, you know, Stanford, they almost didn't win that one, and, and Stanford is certainly not an NCAA tournament team. So tough to see them going into Ames or, or Manhattan or Lubbock or whatever and, and having them come out with a win if they um, play like that in the first half, for sure. Yeah, I just – I mean, I'm not sure. The, the the Ames one, I I don't think might be just a little overblown, just the fact that that's during Christmas break. Um, and so, 
you know, it's it's going to be at worst, I think, more of a neutral type situation. You know, we've already seen them do that sort of thing against Marquette and Tennessee. Iowa State is ranked about the same level as Tennessee. Like, I'm not saying that 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 they should make a habit of it. I just I'm not convinced that. That old saying of, you know, you, you can't keep being a slow team to start the game and expect to win them all. Um, not that I expect to win all of them anyway, but, you know, I, like I, I, I've gotten to the point now where if we're down at halftime, I, I have no reason to think that we're going to lose the game, even if we're down by, you know, eight, eight or nine points. I mean, we've done it against solid teams multiple times. Um, I just I just don't really know what to expect from this team. I, I, I do think that there is kind of a a little bit of, of uncertainty with so many options. Everybody is a little afraid to just say that they're going to be the main option. I think we've seen a little bit more of that from Vic in some games. Um, we, we've seen a little bit more of that from, from Lawson in a few games recently, and hopefully we're going to see more of that from Grimes. The one I think that's really kind of jumped out is a guy that's going to be a leader on this team going down the stretch is going to be Devon Dotson. Now, he has taken over a few games with his, with his passing and knowing when to drive. I mean, I, I do think by the end of the year, you know, it's going to be Dotson who's taking over games. It's going to be Lawson that's taking over games. Um, if Vic can stay on self's good side and can continue to do what he needs to do and get out of his own way in a lot of cases, he has the opportunity to do that. Um, but a guy like Azubuke, he's, I don't think he's, he, he's aggressive enough to kind of take everything on his shoulders like some of these guys need to in order to dictate the pace and actually get them started earlier in the game than waiting until halftime. Yeah, just to to piggyback on your uh, Devin Dotson point, um, man, he is he is something. He does at least one thing every game that just kind of blows my mind, and yeah, I don't no. remember at what point it was in that Wofford game, but he basically tore the ball away from the guy who was guarding and went in and had a layup, and he's still the second best guy on the team in terms of um, shooting percentage at the rim, and he's again he's listed at six two, but he's he's probably got to think he's like six foot even. I mean, he seems like he's a pretty little guy out there. Um, if he could just, and I think this will come, uh, get his assist numbers up a little bit. I mean, you're looking at, uh, you know, again, like a potential, I mean, he's going to have to shoot a lot more, but like a potential All-American type uh, guy. Certainly if he stays more than one year, I mean, he's going to be on a lot of uh, All-American watch lists. So uh, he's probably the guy that I've been most impressed with this year. Um, I don't think he's been our best player just because of what Dietrich Lawson has done and what LeGerald Vick has done and, and even with what Yudoka Azabuki has done, but um, certainly the guy that I think I'm most impressed with when you think about kind of the the skepticism I had of him in the preseason and, and now to see that that was very wrong. Right. I, I do think, though, I think it's fair to say that he's been our most consistent player. Um, you know, he doesn't he doesn't light up the stat sheet, but he has been kind of the guy that they've been able to rely on, especially with the role that he brings to the team. And I think he's also been the most assertive player on the team. You know, he he has been in there taking charge and leading breaks and like doing everything that you need in a leader for the team um, and doing it consistently and getting guys where they need to be. Um, I would have thought that that would have come from either LeGerald Vick stepping up for a senior year you know, or, or one of the, the veterans on the team doing that. But it, it's it's coming from, you know, the freshman point guard who everybody um, kind of weren't really sure if he was even going to be part of the starting lineup. Like, I think right now he's probably the biggest X factor on the team 
Um, you know, obviously Vic's shooting is going to be important. It's going to be important for Lawson to use that, his, his athleticism to get the ball where it needs to go. But if, if Devon Dotson does not keep this up as, you know, in, in terms of the point guard role, I don't think there's anyone else on the roster that can take that spot and, and fill it. So if he doesn't step up for it, you know, that's where our downfall would be. Um, I, I, I find it hard to believe that I'm actually saying this, but I mean, it seems to me like he is probably one of the most important pieces on this team moving forward. Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, point guard is such an important position, and it's one of those things where when we did our preseason podcasts, um, I think we mentioned it on the one with Jesse, and I know we mentioned it over the course of the summer that right. if there is a an issue with this team or, a, you know, how does Kansas, you know, not make a Final Four, or, um, I mean, I think they're going to win the Big 12 kind of regardless, but not not make a final four or not make a deep NCAA tournament run and it's it's gonna be because the backcourt isn't as good as we think it's gonna be or, or they run into a a backcourt that's just a lot better than them and stuff and I think the way that Dotson has played this year um kind of throws a lot of those concerns out the window. Uh, and then obviously if Quentin Grimes can keep this up and I'm not worried about that. I think he's gonna continue to improve and be more assertive, um, but with those two and, and you know, whatever you get from LeGerald Vick, obviously, obviously he's going to cool off a little bit, but it's it seems like it's going to be tough to tough for them to run into a backcourt that's that much better than them. Yeah, I mean, really, it's going to come down to someone needs to get a little hotter from three other than LeGerald Vick. He's the only guy that's shooting very well right now from three-point range. Um, in fact, I'm looking at stats right now. He's still shooting 57.1% from three, um, you know, on 49 attempts. The closest person to him, Devon Dodson is at, is shooting 46%, but he's only shot 13. Um, let's see. Quentin Grimes has shot 26. He's shooting 38.5%. So not bad, but, you know, I think most of that came in the first game. So um, wasn't he like something like seven of 10 or something like that in the game against Michigan State, if, if, if I remember right? It was it was some it's some insane number. Yeah, it was it was something to that effect. Yeah, and I mean that's where his percentage is is like coasting on that right now. In fact, I'm looking at it right now. I'm sorry, it was it was six of ten in the opener against Michigan State, and then I don't think he actually has hit a single one again until last night. No, I'm sorry, he was two of four against Vermont. Um, so they're still shooting at a decent clip. Oh, I didn't even realize. See, I was under the impression that he wasn't uh, doing very well after that. He was one of two in, against Louisiana. Didn't really shoot very much. I'm a little surprised. Well, thought, well, that's. I mean, I think you're right that it it seems like he hasn't been doing a lot because he hasn't been shooting much, um, and he's obviously not been very good uh, inside either, uh, which is kind of, um, you know, he was expected to come in and maybe not be a, a really good straight line driver or. Um, you know, good in the half court, taking his man off the dribble. But uh, a lot of the scouting reports on him was how good he was in the open floor, uh, as well as how good he was cutting off the ball. And you haven't really seen a lot of that. So hopefully, um, you know, they drew up that play for him um, last night, the lob play. Um, and then obviously that, that in and out move he had uh, in the open floor. Um, I'm certainly hoping that that's going to get him going because he's got, you know, you can tell he's got a lot of talent. You can tell he's a really good uh, passer of the ball. And so maybe you add in a little bit of scoring and then that gets his, his jump track going and he gets a little bit more comfortable 
shooting the ball rather than being passive. And I think that that's going to help for sure. Yeah. And that's really been the problem is it's not that he's not a good shooter or that he is, you know, coming back to earth or anything. I think it's just that he's lost He's lost that aggression. He's lost that spark that he had in, in the first game against Michigan state. Um, and that's really what I think what we saw from LeGerald Vick in last night's game as well. Uh, well, real, real quick before we go, was, was there anything, uh, before we go over to the Wofford game, was there anything else in the Stanford game? Did you want to make any kind of comment about Vic's insane day that we didn't already say? No, I think, I mean, I think we definitely covered it. It's just, uh, obviously he didn't play as good in the Wofford game, but, um, just when, when he gets going like that, I mean, I think that they can just give him the ball and get out of the way a little bit. Cause he's, he's hitting him off the catch, obviously. And, and, um, you know, not always getting set before he shoots, but doing a really good job for the most part, anyway, shooting off the dribble as well. So, uh, Yeah, I he, did want to say that that play that he shot for overtime, it literally was a mirror image of the the shot for the champion to, to tie the championship game back in 2008. Like, the same setup, um, you know, so it was, it was literally like you just took a mirror to the previous one and were watching it in the mirror because it was opposite direction but the same side of the floor for the camera. Um, you know, Devon Dotson kind of stumbled a little bit when he was passing it off to Vic. You know, took a took a couple steps that borderline travel. Like I went back and rewatched the the 2008 shot, and again, Mario Chalmers did the same sort of thing. He had the the borderline travel to get up for that shot, up and over a defender, like well above the defender. Um, like even the you know sinks the shot, and then the other team grabs the ball and tries to shoot a really quick three in almost the exact same spot. So it was a it was an interesting way to look at that, um, but it was it was very reminiscent of that, but. Um, you know, it, it was it was just an amazing shot. It was awesome to see him go ahead and do that and have such a big game. Um, but I think the one thing that it really shows about Vic, because when, then when he followed it up with the Wofford game, is that he is completely a confident shooter. If he does not start out hot, um, he is not going to have a good game probably. Um, you know, he he only shot, I believe, a couple times in the first half in the Stanford game. So he hadn't, he, you know, he, he wasn't really cold in the first half. He just didn't take a lot of opportunities. And then once he started shooting them and started making them, he kept pouring it on. Um, you know, in the Wofford game, he took a couple shots, didn't make them at all, and then kind of went away. Um, didn't really try to do too much. And I think a lot of that was he got in trouble for being late um, to the shoot-around. Like, he had some other stuff that was going on. I don't know that his head was really in that Wofford game. Um, the one thing I did want to notice here, though, I'm looking at, at Ken Palm. And for those of you that aren't familiar with Ken Palm's site, they, they track the MVP of the game uh, for the winning team, essentially on, on every single game. Um, you know, I, I expected going in looking at this game that LeGerald Vick was probably going to be that guy. Um, but, but actually Dietrich Lawson was credited according to Ken Palm stats as the MVP of the game. And I mean, looking at their stats, obviously Vick stands out because he had the, the seven three pointers, but Dietrich Lawson, you know, he had, uh, he had 24 points as well. He made 10 of his 11 free throws, he had 15 total rebounds. He had a couple assists. Um, turned the ball over one last time than than Vic did. He actually had a couple defensive steals as well. So Lawson had a really good game all around too. That I think just kind of got lost because of the heroics that, that Vic had at the end of the game. Um, so as good as Legero Vic has been playing, um, you know it's it's a little surprising to see he wasn't actually the best player in that game. If if you're looking at the stats, and I went back and tabulated all of the games just to see. You know, I had thought with how deep this team is and how it seems like a different person is stepping up every night, how it might be, you know, more spread out. They might have four or five guys that have been an MVP of a particular game. And and, and that's not the case at all. Um, it's actually five for, for Diedrich 
and then two for for Legerald Vick, and that's it. So I was a little a little surprised about that. But let's let's go ahead and jump over to the Wofford game. Um, or actually, first, did you want to say anything about any of that before we jump to the Wofford game? Uh, no, we can go to the Wofford game. All right. So so Wofford game. Obviously, game didn't start out nearly as well as we uh, wanted it to. Um, I actually wasn't able to watch the game. I had to listen to it on the radio and then get a bunch of clips from people on Twitter. Uh, I saw the I saw the injury to Doak um, through just a really small clip on Twitter, and his ankle like literally looked like it had popped out of the socket. Apparently, that's not the case. The last I heard was that it was a, a rolled ankle. It wasn't even actually a sprain. They're expecting to try to have him back b- around Christmas, which I think would be phenomenal. Obviously, if he's only out for a few ga- for like three four games, um, but I mean, did you actually see the like the did you actually see the broadcast and like see that injury there and and or how did you like find out? Were you were you watching the game? Yeah, I, I watched the game. I saw it when it happened. I didn't um, I didn't look at any of the any of the replays or anything on on Twitter or anything like that. So I haven't I haven't seen it other than the first original live shot, and and I mm-hmm. personally couldn't really tell anything as far as what what happened, but I, I don't usually like to look at those kind of things. So I just right. kind of stayed away, but yeah, the yeah. fact that it, I only asked about it because, you know, I was like, I can't see it. Like how bad did it look? And then someone gave me the little clip of him and he's like sliding past the, the um, stanchion there. And his ankle literally looks like someone just like folded his foot up on itself at the ankle. And so I was like, uh, that looks like it's gotta be something like a dislocation or something. Um, turns out it doesn't look like it was. So I was a little surprised, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it looked, it looked really bad when you, when you saw it, but, uh, you know, I, I think that obviously that changed the, the entire tone of the game. Um, what, what were you, I guess, most worried about? Because I, I don't think Wofford really had the personnel to take advantage of not having us a bouquet down low. Um, but, but maybe I'm wrong. I didn't actually look at them too much beforehand. Yeah, it was, it was mostly, um, Mostly just worried about the fact that is he gonna be out for the year with some kind of broken ankle or something like that. I mean, I, you know, who knows when when you see a a guy his size go down in a heap, and that's the other thing too. It's not like he's carrying around uh, Devon Dotson's weight. You know, he's carrying around oh, right. Yudoka Azubuki's weight, so you're probably gonna have to give him a little bit extra time to get healthy and, and get back and everything. So that was kind of the the number one thing I was worried about. I wasn't. Um, I wasn't really worried about them uh, losing the game, to be honest with you, even with how they were playing. But um, obviously, it's it's good that he's only going to be out for it sounds like you know maybe a month or so. Um, so that's probably best case scenario, I would think. Yeah, last I heard it, that they were expecting it to be two to three weeks. So okay, wow. I mean, that's you know yeah, that's, that's really surprising. <laughs> so originally, the, they were saying it was a high ankle sprain which is usually about five to six weeks. Um, but then they're like, no, actually, it looks like it's not even a sprain. It's just he rolled the ankle. And so probably two to three weeks. Now, granted, you know, timelines that we get from self on guys coming back aren't really set in stone. Um, he tends to, I think, be a little too rosy with those pictures sometimes. Um, you know, if he is out until the beginning of conference play or even the you know, first week or two into conference play, I wouldn't be surprised. I honestly wouldn't even be too worried about that, though. It's definitely much more important to have him later in the year. McCormick came into this game and, and had a few quick buckets there um, to kind of help out and then kind of spark them to keep them in it. And then obviously, the, you know, they were able to 
to get their their feet under them and have a big run. I do think in a way, actually, because um, because Wofford does not have a lot of inside depth. Most of their their best players are out on the perimeter. Um, having to go away from Azubuke and having to go to that four-guard lineup actually helped in, in defending them. Um, you know, it helped in kind of matching up with the strengths of Wofford. Honestly, I think it's probably something that they should have done anyway um, in trying to, you know, get out there because as bad as we've seen the three-point shooting for this team, you know, has been, or the three-point defense has been for this this Kansas team, you know, they needed to definitely make sure that those two guys out on the perimeter weren't going to go off on them. So, um Ultimately, I think it might have actually helped in the way that the game went, but obviously, yeah, you, you never, you never want to see your your best big guy down on the floor with an ankle injury. So, all right. So, anything else about the Wofford game that you wanted to highlight? I mean, I don't know that there's a lot to talk about um, other than obviously the twenty-seven nothing run. Uh, I think it was you that tweeted uh, that was talking about the last time that the KU football team had a twenty-seven nothing scoring run. Was back in 2010. Um, I haven't had a chance to fact check that, but I it got me wondering what the the longest runs for each of the teams has been. Um, yeah, I know. I know that there was. I believe it was. I want to say 2011 that the basketball team started a game off 42 to nothing or something ridiculous like that. Um, I'd have to go look it up. I'll, I'll do that for our next podcast. We can talk about that, and I'm sure people on Twitter will let me know as well. But. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, it, it got me thinking, I have to think that the biggest scoreless run or the biggest, um, run, of, you know, of unanswered points probably came from the basketball team. And it was probably that big 40, 40 point, you know, swing that they had to start out a game once, but I would be really interested to find out what they are for, for each team. Um, but any other thoughts about this Wofford game? Uh, yeah, well, just first off that. Just FYI, so you have a starting point that that KU football comeback was the the big game again, or the scoring run, excuse me, was that big comeback uh, against Colorado in the in the Turner Gill era that got Dan Hawkins pretty much fired. So uh, I don't I don't think they've I didn't look at every single box score, but I I went through kind of a, a few where they scored a lot of points, and so uh, there there haven't been many over the right. over the course of the last few years. So yeah, to get um, something higher than a twenty one nothing run. Or twenty-seven nothing around, I think that was actually. Um, you have to score more than that many points, at least. Right. So. <laughs> so other than that, I think the the big thing was just um, how much better they defended the three. I mean, uh, Wofford still took quite a few threes. Actually, took more threes than they did. Oh, I'm looking at the wrong box score. Hang yeah. on. Twenty-six threes for Wofford. They took thirty-nine twos. There we go. Okay, so that's still that's still uh, quite a few, um, but. You know, a lot of them were were really bad looks, I thought, and um, ones that obviously, you know, Fletcher McGee can kind of hit those shots. I've watched him play a few times over the course of the last couple of years, and he can definitely make those shots. So people are saying that those were bad shots, not not necessarily uh, when his invo- when he's involved, but yeah, he was um, just did. really really cold. You could tell yeah, and, just watching him shoot his his stroke looked off all night. But he was—he's one of their main weapons, and that was like—that's the way to attack the Jayhawks. So he had to keep shooting to try to get going if they were going to have any shot in that game. And they—they they were able to to kind of stay attached uh, to him and and just kind of to everyone, and, and were able to defend one on one well, and, and they didn't overhelp and stuff. So all all that stuff I thought was was really good, and hopefully they continue that going forward. So that's that's probably the main takeaway um obviously i don't think good shooting teams are going to go like five of 26 from three against them 
uh, right. every time. But if they can defend that well and kind of hold teams to maybe like in the, you know, I mean, you know, who knows? Percentage is, is what it is. But if they can stop them from getting so many clean looks like they have been getting um, over the course of the first few games of the season, then uh, you never know. I mean, they, they might develop into a, a really good defense because, I mean, they, they held Wofford, uh, I think, under 0.7 points per possession, which is uh, pretty insane. Yeah, that was really, really insane. So, all right, any other thoughts on the basketball team? Nope. All right, real quick, before we jump to your random sports minute for the week, um, I did want to talk about football. Les Miles um, has his first couple hires. Um, the first one, I am forgot both of the names. I the, the most recent one is Chip Lindsey, who most recently was the offensive coordinator over at Auburn. Uh, he jumped ship over there to come to come to Kansas. There's been a lot of talk about, well, why would he come from Auburn to Kansas? You know, why was he getting run off of there? Um, I, I want to get your thoughts. I, I, I have a few thoughts of my own, but I, I want to get your first thoughts on that particular hire. I mean, do you have any strong feelings about it either way? Um, go ahead. Well, I, I don't know too much about him other than, um, you know, what I've been able to find like on Google and, um, what I've been able to find, uh, just kind of looking around online and stuff. But it, it really sounds like a lot of Auburn's issues this year were more due to, to Gus Malzahn than him. Um, it sounds like when Gus kind of took his hands off and let him kind of do his thing, that the offense was pretty good. Obviously, when he was the offensive coordinator at Southern Miss, they had some really good offenses. Um, and I think, I guess I would have to go back and double check, but I think they were pretty good at Arizona State as well when um, when he was there. So, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, I think it's a, a good hire. It's, he's... I still think like one of those, you know, he's obviously not a young guy, but he is a, a newer face in terms of being in college football. So uh, he is kind of an, an up and comer. I would still classify him as. So um, I think it's a, a good hire. It's certainly better than I think a lot of the, the worst case scenario fears that were out there with like a, you know, a Cam Cameron or some of those guys that Les had at LSU. So I, I definitely think that he's going to be a guy who can take advantage of, KU's talent in the backfield and, and their shortcomings elsewhere. Yeah, and, and I think the thing that jumps out to me, the, the other guy that he hired to the staff so far is Chevis Jackson. Uh, he was a he, he played for LSU. Um, he's coached for a few other places. Um, you know, but he, he's going to be the, def, the defensive back coach um, for, for Kansas. You know, he's got a lot of strong ties to the Louisiana area. You know, I get the feeling that that Miles is kind of doubling down on trying to make Louisiana a big area for us to pull from. It makes perfect sense, obviously, with his connections to the area, the fact that we already have so many guys on the roster in key positions. Um, you know, so it's it's overall, I think, a really good strategy. You know, Chevis Jackson was, uh, I believe, let's see, the last thing I saw, he, um, that's all right, he was the recruiter of the year uh, up in the MAC. I believe that was in 2017. So, you know, he's he's pretty good at recruiting. Um, he's got the, the ties to a lot of the key areas that we're looking at. Like, I, I don't have any problems with either of these hires. Um, you know, and, and, and I have been hearing all kind of the same things you have, that, that Malzahn is a very micromanaging type coach down at Auburn. And so given the fact that he was successful, that, that Lindsey was successful in his previous stops, and was still somewhat successful down in Auburn, even though they had begun to stagnate. I'm willing to believe, you know, that 
the problems that Auburn had wasn't necessarily his fault. It's, it, you know, I, I said this online, I believe it was over on Rock Chalk Talk, actually. Um, you know, it reminds me a lot from what I'm hearing of the situation we had here. You know, we brought in Doug Meacham, who was supposed to be a really good air raid guy that really knew what he was doing, was going to get, you know, bring that spark into the offense. But David Beatty would never let go. Like he kept having to insert his own thoughts. And, and that was validated by the fact that they fired Doug Meacham and really nothing about the offense changed. Um, other than there was no longer a tug of war at who was going to be the QB, which always kind of seemed to be a tug of war between Meacham and, and Beatty anyway. Um, in terms of who they thought actually should be the the QB. So that's really the only question that settled, but everything else about the offense stayed the same. And so it reminds me of that situation. It's good to see him kind of get out of that situation and hopefully come to a staff where, you know, um, I mean, the the big knock on Les Miles is that he is not an offensive guy. You know, he doesn't know how to run an offense. So if, if Lindsay is as good of an offensive coordinator as a lot of people seem to think that he is, he's going to have free reign to run the the type of offense that he wants to run here. And so we should be able to tell pretty quickly whether he actually is as good as everyone says um, or if the concerns about him coming out of Auburn were actually real. All right, any other final thoughts about football staff or anything else along the lines of the football team? Uh, no, I uh, I think I'm ready to go to the the – Cricket minute. Um, cricket minute today. Okay. All right. Yeah. Sounds well, good. so once again, it's not not cricket. I don't have a I don't have a great one today because this is kind of a kind of a down period for your your random sports. But uh, the United States World Junior Hockey Championship uh, camp roster is going to be unveiled uh, today. It will be out by the time you listen to this, but it's not right now. But um, Team Canada uh, unveiled their camp roster as well. And just for um, quick explanation's sake, those are 20 and under. Um, so you can potentially have guys who are in like the NHL or the AHL, but a lot of them are guys who are playing either in college or in the Canadian junior system. Um, the U.S. probably is not going to do great, I don't think, this year. This isn't a very good age group for him, but there was a, a year a couple years ago uh, as well that wasn't a great age group for him, and I think they won the gold medal, so uh, you never know, um, but we'll have a, we'll have another, we'll run down the, the roster when it actually gets announced. This is more of a, a prelim to the Cricket Minute, uh, or the, the Cricket Minute with the official unveiling. The tournament doesn't start until the day after Christmas, so we've got uh, three weeks or so here to uh, think about it and, and for them to pick their roster and then we can go from there. So we can break it down a minute at a time the next two weeks, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, Fetch, thanks again for joining me tonight. Um, it was it was great catching up about these basketball games. Obviously, the next game coming up um, is this Saturday. They play against New Mexico State. Um, this is the sprint, the annual Sprint Center game. Should be lots of fun. Um, oh, the, the one thing that kind of struck me real quick before we got here, and I'm glad that we're past it at this point. That that Stanford game kind of struck me as the once a year, like what the hell is happening type of game. You know, they had the one against Arizona State last week, last last year. Um, there was the year they had the um, San Diego State came in and completely embarrassed them in a Sunday game um, right before the end of conference play a few years ago. Um, you know, it seems like that Stanford game was that annual game that they have. Hopefully that means that we don't have to deal with another one of those against like New Mexico State in the Sprint Center um, or, you know, the one that everybody thought would potentially be 
that game um, in terms of Villanova coming in, although that wouldn't have been like a, a what the hell is happening? Why did they lose that game? It would have just been a, a down game against a good team. So, um, but yeah, so, so obviously New Mexico state's coming up. We'll talk again uh, next week about that one. Um, and then also kind of prep for the Villanova game really quick before we get to the New Mexico or before we sign off, was there anything from the New Mexico state game that you wanted to preview um, just real quick for the listeners? Um, you know, I haven't really dug into it, uh, to be honest with you. Um, but, uh, I will say that the sprint center stuff, plus the fact that this team is, at least according to all the rating systems, uh, better than Wofford, better than Stanford, um, kind of better, you know, I think they're actually, you know, they're, they're six, I'm looking at uh, actually the, the T rank right now, which is Bartorvik, um, they're 63rd in that. Marquette's 38th, I think. Uh, just based on kind of poking around very, very briefly online, I think they're a little bit closer than um, those rating systems would indicate. And oh, that's another thing where, yeah, they, Ken they, Palm has New Mexico State at 92, and Stanford was at 96 when we played them, and Wofford was at 84. So Ken Palm is nowhere near as high on New Mexico State as it sounds like 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 Torvik is. Interesting. Yeah. I thought that was weird. Um, well, it's it's another thing, I guess, just quick, and this will be an, another central theme of the preview. I mean, they they attempt a ton of threes, so uh, right. get ready for that again. Yeah, should be lots of fun. I was just looking at the brief, uh, you know, the the brief kind of preview that they have there. Um, New Mexico State does not turn the ball over. Does not, you know, get put themselves in bad shooting situations, and a lot of that I think is just because, um, well, they only shoot. Oh no, they are. I'm sorry. They are 32.8% from three, but they shoot almost 44% of their shots from three. Um, so they're not necessarily that great of a three point shooting team, but they go ahead and chuck it up anyway. Um, so if Kansas, you know, if, if Kansas is not able to stop them from getting open looks, there's a chance that they have a hot night shooting. Um, you know, I'm sure a lot of people would actually complain about the fact that, you know, it seems like, you know, obviously they're gonna have their best night against Kansas because that always happens, but you know, if, if Kansas doesn't close out on them, any team that gets wide open looks is going to shoot better from three than, you know, normally contested looks. So um, Kansas is really going to have to clamp down on that because they're not afraid to take threes. Um, and so Kansas has to stop them from actually doing that. So the one the other thing, though, is it looks like New Mexico State gives up a ton of threes. Um, they, you know, they let they let. They're not very good at defending against the three. They give up a ton of threes. They're let, they, their opponents are shooting 41% from three. Or I'm sorry, 41% of their shots are from the three-point line. So Kansas doesn't even take 30% of their attempts from three. Um, you know, if they really want to attack the weakness of the New Mexico State defense, um, assuming that they decide that they need, actually need to try to, you know, play the matchup, they will need to get those three-point shooters going. Maybe Vic will have another breakout game at that point and won't cool off the next game. So, all right. Any other final thoughts before we get out of here? Nope. All right. So for the third time, we'll go ahead and try to get out of here for the night. <laughs> thanks again, Fetch. Yeah, thanks a lot. All right. Have a good one. Bye. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you guys for, for tuning in. Um, just a quick recap. Um, we didn't actually get to it on the podcast, but the women's basketball team suffered their, their first loss uh, back on Wednesday. Uh, they lost 52 to 58 at Nebraska. Um, you knew it was going to happen at some point, but, uh, you know, unfortunately they weren't able to get that, that second road win. Um, but coming up this week, 
Um, obviously, we have the, the game on Saturday against New Mexico State that we talked about a little bit. Um, and then the women's basketball team is back home at 2 p.m. on Sunday, December 9th, to play against Grambling State. Um, so they, 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 they should go ahead and win that game. Uh, that's on Jayhawk TV or, or ESPN+. Plus. Uh, and you can also find that on the Jayhawk Network or the Jayhawk Radio Network. So I definitely encourage you to go ahead and tune into that game. Um, the the New Mexico State game for the basketball team is at 7.30. It is on ESPN2, uh, so you can catch that pretty much wherever you are. Uh, all right, but thanks again, guys, for listening. You can you can contact us online at, on Twitter at RockChalkPod. Uh, the email address is rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com. Please do send in your, your questions, comments, any of that stuff. We really do want to be talking about what it is you guys want us to talk about. So um, please give us any kind of suggestions for, for topics and questions, anything at all. Um, but again, as usual, uh, please do find us on iTunes. Uh, rate, subscribe, give us nice comments, all that fun stuff. It really does help to kind of get the podcast out there to more people so that we can get more listeners and and make a better product for you guys overall. So um, once again, thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.